0: So the theme of this podcast is starting things. And through most of my life, I've seemed to have the ability to start new things and not be afraid to do it. And actually, I was just thinking about it, and I don't really know why that is. But one of the things I trace it back to is my experiences with my grandfather when I was quite young. Uh, I'd be four, five, six, seven years old, and he would sit down with me and say, so, what do you want to learn? And he'd sometimes give me some options. Uh, so this became sort of my paradigm for learning. And when I discovered schools didn't work that way, uh, I think that decided to motivate me to see what I could do to change them. And one of the things that I did is when I was in high school, I organized my friends into a group that we called the Thinkers Club, <laughs> and we met two or three times a week at each other's houses. And we, if we didn't know the answer to something, we would just get guest speakers, or we'd go to somebody's place to get our questions answered. We would just brainstorm any questions that we wanted to discuss, and so that's that's what we did, and that in, in a way was the most important part of my education. I was around 15 years old at that point, and I'm the one who organized it. Uh, all the other students in it were basically headed toward uh, uh, Ivy League schools, but uh, I never wanted to do that. I went to uh, a New College uh, here at Hofstra, Goddard College in Vermont, and then uh, Antioch, New England for my master's degree. Anyway, so to get back to that situation, so that, I think my experience with my grandfather led me to organize that group. And then for some reason, I just never found it difficult to organize any group that I thought needed to be organized. And so, um, when I was in high school, I actually uh, wound up, uh, getting into a program that was organized by a cancer research laboratory for students to experience what that was about. And it's interesting because it was absolutely pioneering. It was Waldemar Cancer Research Laboratories, a guy by the name of Dr. Malamut organized it. And they were working on the immune system being able to be used to uh, attack cancer back in the 1960s when I was part of this. And I continued that whole process, uh, even when I went to college, by doing some research on bees. And and I had discovered when I was at Waldemar that there was a um, very low degree of neoplastic disease, of cancer, amongst beekeepers. And my hypothesis was that their immune systems were being stimulated by being stung by bees and so on. So uh, that's, again, something, and at some point someone came and asked if they could take over my research, and they did. And now, how many years later, uh, 50 years later, this has become an important kind of therapy. I don't know what, if anything, I had to do with that, though. And when I was uh, in college, I, I took a class called Community Laboratory, Uh, there in which we went out into the community organizing things. I organized an amateur radio club, and then eventually I did my thesis on the idea of starting a school, and in between I started a recreation center there that ran as a democracy, and the governor of the state at the time actually uh, came to see the process. When I was doing my thesis, I wound up starting what became Two Schools, uh, one of them became community school. And this all started when I was at a, a town meeting and talked to a guy whose wife had left with her kids and he had this great big house right there in the town of Plainfield. And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And I said, okay, I, I know what we can do with it. And that was the idea of starting a school in that building, which we did. And it wound up breaking into two different schools. And the people that I sort of recruited to help with that process, a couple of former teachers were part of the one that was for mostly Goddard faculty kids, uh, and that became community school. One of those teachers was Mary Jane Carlson. Another's name was uh, Jim Rader. And so Mary Jane had a teenage son by the name of uh, Peter And that's where he first heard, I guess, about alternative schools and democratic schools, and that was Peter Gray. So that's how far back we go, which is pretty far back. (laughs) Uh, And the other one um, became a boarding program that was uh, part of the state for a while and um, eventually continued on as a program for kids with learning disabilities and other kinds of problems. Anyway, that is still going to this day, and it's called Maple Hill. I don't think they know that that was something that I helped to start. Uh, When I was getting my master's degree, I went to Yellow Springs, Ohio, uh, where Antioch is. And um, I was getting my master's from Antioch, New England, but they wanted you to spend a semester at Antioch in Ohio. So I did that. And while I was there, I talked to um, Arthur Morgan. The name may sound familiar because there's Arthur Morgan School that was started in his name. He was the pioneer at uh, Antioch that set up the whole idea of cooperative education. That's where that all started which is when students in uh, colleges uh, do internships as part of their education. And I went to see him at one point after I had, he had encouraged me to go ahead and try to, to get funding for something like this because I didn't think I would be staying in Yellow Springs afterwards and I got that funding from the community council and I went to see him after I had gone to a few places and couldn't, couldn't find a place to have that recreation center and one of the places was the local Presbyterian church. And while I was talking to him, in his office, you have to understand he was well into his 90s at that point. And he just sort of looked like he stopped listening to me and he dialed the phone. And he said uh, he had called one of, the, one of his former students, one of the two millionaires in town. He said, to him, uh, this is Arthur Morgan. Uh, you remember, uh, you know, there's some young people here that want to start a recreation center. And do you remember that uh, when they wanted, uh, the Presbyterian Church wanted some funding and you put money into that, right? Well, the church turned them down. And so I thought maybe you could give me the names of the others. And a week later, we were in the Presbyterian Church with that recreation center. And that actually evolved into a community center, which is uh, still going to this day, something that people probably don't know that they owe to Arthur Morgan, besides Antioch and Antioch School and all that. So eventually I graduated and worked for a while at one of the schools, helped to organize it, and then got a job teaching a remedial reading program in a local high school. And it was not a regular class, so we could kind of make it what we wanted, and it really did become a sort of its own alternative school. Uh, and while I was there, it was quite interesting. So uh, back around that time, I met John Holt in the Boston area, and I knew about his ideas. He had written How Children Learn, How uh, Children Fail, uh, and eventually wrote to Teach Your Own. And so he was the pioneer in the homeschool movement. And um, so we, I picked up a lot of stuff from him. He actually... Came up to uh, Vermont at one point uh, when I was on the uh, committee for children and youth of Bernie Sanders when he was the mayor. So that actually led to the development of the first homeschool group in in Vermont. This was 1985 or so. I started my own school back in 1968 and. That school became uh, Shaker Mountain School, which ran for 17 years. And while I was there, one of the things that we did is we visited, actually, started really from the first year of the school. We visited the Mohawks of the Iroquois Confederacy in uh, upstate New York. And in 1971, I got a call from them that they had been, had had 70 kids kicked out of school for wanting to l- learn their own language and culture, asked me if we could come over there and help them start a school. So I brought some of my students. We went over there. We had a meeting, big meeting in Little House uh, on the reservation. And uh, people said, oh, don't we have to get the government to do this for us? And I said, no, you can do it yourself. And a week later, they started the first Indian Way school. And that was the beginning of the survival school movement, and so uh, we would go back. We would go visit them. They would go visit us. And then, then the, uh, the next year, uh, another one on another Mohawk reservation, uh, uh, Kanawaki, uh, near Montreal, asked me to come over there. We continued to have a relationship with them. And they started the second Indian Way School. And this eventually led to, uh, it's a long story, but it led to the survival school that is Kanawaki. And that actually was paid for by the government. And it was, again, dedicated to saving their language and culture, which was done. And now uh, almost all young Mohawks speak the language. Almost everybody speaks the language. It actually skipped a generation. So at first the grandchildren could speak to the grandparents, and the parents couldn't understand. But... uh, that then led to survival schools all over North America. So that's something that happened back in 71 and it continued on actually through this day. there's still a lot of schools like that. There's Akwesasne Freedom School, for example, which I visited a while ago. That is at the Akwesasne Reserve in upstate New York. So that's another thing that just kind of started in that way. It's funny, sometimes it just doesn't take much, you know, just the concept and the confidence that people can do it. So, um, after I had run my school for all those years, uh, I eventually uh, was asked to take over the National Coalition of Alternative Community Schools. Uh, And uh, I built that up from 50 to about 500 schools over a period of years and eventually um, wound up starting Arrow in 1989, uh, and that's Alternative Education Resource Organization. And so for all these years, we've been helping people start new schools, and there are many schools that have started as a result of this. In, In 1993... I went to a meeting in Israel on multiculturalism, and Yaakov Hecht, who was at the Democratic School of Hadera in Israel, invited a bunch of us, about a dozen, to come to his school who were involved with democratic education. And so we had that little meeting. I think it was just a one-day event. And then the next year, though, a guy from England who was there, David Gribble, started a second one. And I said, oh, it's a movement. And so the, the year after that, I went where they were having the next one, which was in Vienna. And uh, I spent qu- quite a while with them and, and then eventually traveled all over you know, to visiting various other schools and wind up at one point in Russia. When I came back, I continued to follow up with the IDEC. Well, it wasn't even called the IDEC yet. It was called the Hydera Conference. But then in 87, there were some girls in um, England at the Sand School that really worked on developing that conference there. Well, That was 97, 1997. I went to that. They renamed it the IDEC. They decided it should be a longer conference to become more like a community. But the trouble is, after that, kind of the ball got dropped. And so we stepped in one more time or a couple more times. In 1996, we had started a listserv to coordinate things, which allowed us to continue. In In 1998, when they didn't uh, have a place to have it, I talked to the people at the Stork School in in Ukraine about hosting it, which they did. And that kind of kept it going. And I I did that for a while, eventually helping start one or organize one that was at Summerhill in 99 and so this this continued and so the kind of it got to a little bit of its own momentum but I, I still you know there it isn't an actual organization so we usually have to play a role in the organizing of of each year's conference and we haven't missed one since 1993 when it started so we were kind of involved in at least keeping that going At the beginning of the 90s, I, I organized a democratically run table tennis club and ran that for a long time, and it's very interesting how that went, and it was very effective for the children that were in it, but then it didn't continue after I left there, so that's something that I started that didn't continue as far as I know. Eventually, in 2003, we organized the IDEC for the first time in the United States, uh, in conjunction with the Free School of Albany, we had about six hundred fifty people come from all over the world to that to that conference. And out of that, uh, people, for example, going back to New York, we were discussing this and saying, "How come there are no democratic schools in New York City?" And so out of that, we'd established a group that would that met uh, at a charter school in Queens. And that, uh, I had had heard from somebody who was interested in trying to start a school, and so we had a series of meetings, and we kind of built Brooklyn Free School around Alan Berger, who was the one who had wanted to do that. And I was very involved in that organization, uh, demonstrating democratic process and organic curriculum and things like that with the groups of people that showed up and the parents and the students. And so that had a pretty good foundation. And the next year, 2004, it had its first year, and it's continuing to go now as of uh, 2021 this year. And looks like it's going to keep going fine. And then out of that, the waiting list from that group, there was a Manhattan Free School, for example, that we'd helped to start from building around somebody in Manhattan who wanted to start a school. And I was not as as involved in that, and they had their ups and downs, but for over a period of three or four years, but after that, the founder had, she said she was just going to give it over to her staff members and then discovered there was no money left. So I went to their, what they said was going to be their final meeting. And at that meeting, I said to them, hey, you guys have tremendous assets here that my school starters would love to have including you have your nonprofit, and you have a location. You have a building. You don't have money now. That's okay. You'll have to volunteer for a while to keep it going. You're in Manhattan, so you'll find people who want to send their kids there. And that's exactly what happened. We had somebody who volunteered to help. He was from the uh, uh, IT world. He brought in the concept of agile learning from IT, and they eventually renamed the place... The Agile Learning Center, and that guy volunteered to be a director for a while, and it continued on. But what really caught on was those that term, Agile Learning Center, and so one of the people who had been a former staff here for a while wound up going around the world doing training for Agile Learning. And now they continue doing training. The staff from the Agile Learning Centers continue doing training every year for people who want to start Agile Learning Centers. And there are schools all over the world that say they are inspired by uh, Agile Learning Centers. So that literally came from one meeting. I think it's not recorded at all on their website, but that's where it started. It was They were going to close. So as I said, we do have this School Starters course And out of that course, we've helped to start about 100 different schools and programs. And uh, I I discovered when I went to the IDEC, the last in-person one in Ukraine, that there are dozens of new democratic schools that have started there. And I had also discovered that we had somebody in the school starters course from Poland. She went back there and started her school. And then that led to maybe 50 or so that are involved with that kind of, you know, with learner-centered education anyway in, in Poland. These are some of the kinds of things that I've been involved with and have helped to start and organize. And it's just something that, for some reason, is easy for me to do. And I wish I could actually figure out what the commonality is here and or how we can help people be able to do the same kinds of things. I think part of it has to do with just the confidence that I try to instill that people can do it. And they have.